0: Hey guys, what's going on? This is Cameron. We wanted to try something a little bit different and sit down with Christian and get to know the man behind the microphone a little better. Thanks for joining me tonight, Christian. Before we pick your brain, why don't you give us a quick introduction of yourself?
1: All right, yeah. Hi guys, I am uh, Christian, also known on this podcast as Small One. Thanks to my uh, brother's nickname uh, for me sticking. When I was, you know, f- five to ten years old here, he called me Small One because I, of course, was, uh, you know, eight years his, uh, his younger part. And, uh, of course, now <laughs> for some reason, even though I'm taller than him, that nickname has still stuck, which is a little frustrating, but I'll, I'll get over it, don't worry. And uh, so we, I, I go by small one on this podcast and for the D&D guys, which is always pretty funny.
0: It's actually really funny, too, because that was obviously yours and Dylan's thing, but it's become what everyone calls you now. Even to the point where our wives know you as that. My wife might be asking me who I'm texting, and if I say Christian, she'll almost do a double take of be like, Christian. Oh, small one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, well, let's jump right into it. I figured I would just ask you some more personal questions to allow the listeners to get to know you a little better. So, you might have touched on it a little bit in some of the earlier episodes, but how long would you say that you've been playing tabletop RPGs for?
1: So... Oh, man, that's a tough one because it's always been debated between me and my brother Dylan, or as the audience knows in Critical Crafting, just I'd say around 9 to 11 years. I'd say around when I was maybe 10 years old, I really think I got into it because that's when Dylan first delved into the world of DMing and really put on a small little game for me and my other sibling. So I'd say about 10 years here.
0: That's awesome. So let's see, looking back on all 10 or 11 years of that, yours may be a bit of an unusual situation because you've been playing more or less the same character for most of that and different incarnations of that. Do you want to explain a little bit of how all that has played out and some of the intricacies that went into that?
1: So dealing with that many years of playing, I've actually surprisingly only had a few different characters, mostly rogues, bards, I've had a little bit of dabbling into some other random uh, Mindbender for 3.5. For 5e, I just actually delved into some Barbarian. I know the majority of the classes for 3.5 and 5e, I'd say their base stats and what you really want to build them around. But actually playing them, I've really concentrated mostly on the role playing aspects or really interesting 3.5 builds, whether that's. uh, an assassin that can do you know magic or whether that's a bard that's a a sandwich not actually a sandwich <laughs> but a, a chest it's just it's all crazy builds you can think of pretty much i've i've thought in my mind and i built a character maybe it hasn't ended up in an actual game but
0: i've i've made it so would you say then that you generally favor role play over combat
1: ah man that's a it's such a tough, controversial question. I think the big thing is I love the fact that role playing can really add your own perspective onto the world. I know we've talked about a little bit about uh, world building and that whole aspect, but being able to really directly influence the world, like with combat, you can do that. Give or take, you defeat a you know a BBEG, and yay, everything's changed. But when you're role playing, you really get to know the different NPCs and you really get to connect the story past I guess what I think normal combat takes you. So I just really always have enjoyed the challenge I think that role playing takes cuz it can go so many different ways whereas if combat's very black and white sometimes where if you, you know, deal a certain amount of damage, you know, that that person's going to die if you don't deal enough damage then they're not going to die. It's very black and white. So I I always have favored role-playing, to be honest.
0: I know when we started playing, I know I've touched on it a bit, but I'm now three years into playing D&D with you guys. When our current group first started playing, it was essentially just you and Dylan who had ever played D&D before, with the exception of a guy who originally kind of introduced us all together and then played for just a little bit. But primarily it was you and Dylan with the tabletop RPG background so I remember right off the bat being super intimidated at how flawlessly you were able to jump right into role playing and speaking in character and all that fun stuff and and so I know for me and I would probably guess most of the rest of the group that kind of became the golden standard of what role play was but now that I look back on it I think it was a big benefit to us having you in the group it just kind of showing us what it looked like So, as we're all kind of sitting around the table awkwardly, not knowing the rules, not knowing what the game was, not really knowing, obviously, the system, never having done anything like that before, all of us were just really kind of unsure about what the whole role-playing thing was. But having someone who was a veteran player there to kind of help break the ice and get us all warmed up to it was awesome. Um, And I don't know how typical that is, but it really made me appreciate it. So, over the 11 years, roughly, that you've been playing... I'm sure you've seen all sorts of crazy encounters. If you were to look back on literally a decade of playing, what would you single out as the coolest moment you got to experience?
1: Oh, gosh.
0: I know. And no pressure that you have to say that it was something from my campaign.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's such a tough, tough decision. I'd say one of the most... Ingenious or random encounters I had in one of your campaigns. If we're not including Earth, the actual hellbrainer who destroyed your encounters with his <laughs> sixty-plus damage and three point five, due to being a mounted a mounted dragonborn who had a lance who dealt critical damage every time on his charge. Trust me, it's the most op thing in the world. I absolutely super built him on accident. (laughs) (laughs) And besides him, I would say probably the most recent is probably in your campaign when Erwin the the Defiler, who I often bardic uh, entertainment style uh, uh, personality, is that uh, he actually was able to control an entire floating city kind of thing using just a simple instrument panel just using i think it was what was the check that he had to make Made have been wisdom or use match device yeah and even though it was a simple check to make i think i failed oh probably half the amount of time it was just amazing that i was like it literally felt to me if I was going to learning to fly a plane, like I don't have experience learning how to fly a plane, but if I was, I would draw my knowledge from this encounter <laughs> Just because going, you know, left or right or up or down, you had the exact movements down to a T where I would say like, I want to move closer down to the actual earth to get a better view and it just felt so realistic to me, and it just felt so intense. And I think that was, that was one where I did end up, like, changing the battlefield, where I literally, like, I tilted the entire, like, current city we were on to shift, so that everyone, including me, flew off to the side. And even though maybe it maybe wasn't the most, like, glamorous point, it was just a point where I felt, like, so powerful, With such a simple movement, I guess.
0: That's actually a really cool story for you to bring up too. Uh, Maybe for just a little bit more context for the listeners. It was the finale of a year and a half long campaign that I ran. The party was finally going toe to toe with the big bad evil guy, St. Caius the Ascended. No punches all back. They were literally facing down what was likely going to be a TPK. Never in a million years did I expect the group to try and commandeer this flying citadel. In my mind, they were just going to be trying to fighting everything they could to stay alive so they're getting destroyed they're outnumbered probably four to one but the fact that literally out of the blue small one has the idea to just sprint across the room (laughs) putting himself right through the fray and literally right in in front of all of the melee fighters that were the enemies and he makes it across the room to this control panel and so i remember thinking well that's weird but i don't really know what he thinks he's going to do (laughs) but the beauty of it Just like he said, even in him failing the checks to try and take control of the citadel, and one side dropping lower than the other, because it ended up making everybody have to make balance checks just to try and stay on their feet or to avoid sliding across the room. And that was just awesome, the way that he was able to utilize that to control the battlefield and still kind of be off to the side out of harm's way. Super, super cool to watch.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely liked the idea of having that much influence on the actual like battlefield and having that much I so being able to drastically change a combat scenario like that was just so impactful I think
0: and honestly that was pivotal to whether you guys survived the encounter or not so that's really cool that you brought that up oh definitely so looking back to the very beginning do you remember the first time that you and Dylan sat down to play D&D and what was that session like
1: uh, you know I can't say I remember the exact first time but I can tell you that I still have some of the flash cards and index cards. I took notes, my very first notes for D and D, on with some red, bright red ink, and I wrote down the city of Waterdeep, and I wrote down what creatures were there, what items I had, what monsters I encountered, all in these separate little categories with little paper clips on for each category of whether it's a place, a thing, or an item, and. That was my first campaign in this new entire world. And I think it was just so impactful to delve into that and really connect and have so much passion and so much overwhelming joy for something like that. So as a kid, you're, so, you're, you're, you're brought straight into the world. There's no, no amount of a lack of imagination. You're immediately transformed in this world. And so I wish... That more kids were brought into D&D because it, it can be such a profound experience to grow creativity and imagination. Past you know, a lot of people pick it up when they're adults, and by then, or teenagers, let's say, and by then you're slowly weaning into the real world and it's more of an escapism thing. Whereas when you're a kid, this world is your world and you can see the real world as this world, and you can really interact so much differently. And I just love that childhood uh, innocence of delving into this world and trying to save something and trying to do good and really learning life experiences through this board game or through this role-playing game is just so impactful to, to me as a kid.
0: That's so cool. All joking aside, that might easily be one of the most insightful things I've ever heard you say. (laughs) I'm envious of that. I didn't get started in D&D for the first time until I was 26 or 27. So I missed out on so much time where I could have been playing D&D if I had only had someone who knew the game to teach Mm -hmm. me how to play it. I remember when I was younger and seeing or hearing about the game or things like that and thinking how fun it sounded, but not obviously (laughs) knowing where to start or how to even get involved in something like that. So I know you've played several different classes in the many different incarnations of your character. What would you say is a class or a build that you've maybe always wanted to try out, but you've never had the opportunity yet?
1: Oh, man. Something I think I've always wanted to play as would be straight-up wizard or sorcerer. Maybe paladin. I think that... You know what? I'm going to go with paladin just because I think I've always had a fascination with how deep of a connection a character can have with a such like a cultural religion, like a you know a fake religion, like in D anD D, where you we have Dylan here who still his sign off is about Vecna, you know, fake religion in D anD D. Just how deep a character can get involved with that, and my characters have always been very not agnostic, but more self sufficient to the point where they don't really rely on like divine help at all. And so I've always wondered if having a character who actually, like, would fake pray to a god would be kind of insightful uh, and kind of, like, leave it up more to chance than normal, I guess. So I've always wondered about a paladin on how I could build a paladin to suit my, you know, certain things that I like to do in D&D.
0: That's really interesting to hear you say that because in the whole time I've been playing with you, even though it's technically been the same PC... You've always been playing someone who is more on the neutral, neutral evil on the grid. So I'm trying to imagine you playing a Lawful Good character and just thinking how interesting mm-hmm. that could be to see both ends of the spectrum. Then That's really cool, though.
1: Oh, it would be so interesting. Well, I would say, like, um, here, how, how have you seen the switch from 3.5 to 5e? I know we've gone to Roll20. How have you seen the switch from me going from what you've mostly seen as a bard character i know i've played a few different characters in between but i mostly bard character to now in 5e i'm doing i'm a barbarian goliath how have you seen the transition
0: all right so i know i've only played two sessions now so i don't have a huge insight yet probably but it's been interesting to see you go from a skill monkey character like no exaggeration the bard that small one plays as in our 3.5 game is just unreal and the knowledge of arcane and local, religion, all that fun stuff. He literally has, no joke, plus 15s or plus 20s to those skills. So when we're in combat, he's on the back lines as a support character, debuffing and casting spells and everything like that. But when we go into a city, he's the face of our group. We might come across an obscure word or a text document that means absolutely nothing to us, but lo and behold, Erwin is able to help us uncover information and context about the word, maybe what the relevance of the word is in the specific area or the religion. And I know for sure it's helped us immensely. It's helped us get to places that we never would have gotten to otherwise. And I'm sure even parts of the adventure we hadn't, we wouldn't have been able to make it to without it. But so by comparison though, contrasting that with his current character in our, our 5e game we're playing online, he's playing a barbarian now. It's super interesting then to see going from a skill monkey to a combat-focused character, then, as the Barbarian is. And it's all the more reinforced because you're still so into the roleplay with it. So, with your Bard being someone that's historically very high in intelligence and wisdom and charisma, and now going to a Goliath Barbarian, who is lower in all of those stats, it's cool because you haven't let that pigeonhole you into who you've been playing as. You're taking a class that would normally be seen as a hack and slash and probably really low roleplay and you're still injecting so much character into it that it's still just such a cool thing to see and i think that says a lot about your play style
1: yeah i think i can never not roleplay whether it's even if i have to roleplay stupid if i if i can i roleplay stupid just to add something to the story because i feel like no matter what a person should be interacting with the story in some way whether it's you know, inadvertently hurting it. And it, everyone in the group understands why, you know, if your class is historically, like we said, barbarian, I haven't said like today, like in the session, am I, am I able to read? Like, am I illiterate? Like, how low is my intelligence just to see, uh, I guess like how to play my character and yeah, it may hurt you in some points where, Oh, you didn't read that this bottle was poison or this was, you know, some kind of, of, Not flame retardant, you know, alcohol or something that immediately bursts into flames at this sudden combat situation, and you mess up for the party. But it makes it, I guess, kind of more realistic in the fact of everyone makes mistakes, even in, you know, and then even in role playing and in fantasy worlds, people are going to make mistakes because nobody's perfect, no PC is perfect. So I think just interjecting that kind of like weakness in your character can be really profound.
0: So what would you say, this might be a little off the cuff, but so you've had a, obviously a long, a long history of playing and a lot of experience with the D&D system. What would you say would be one thing you would change about the mechanics of D&D if you were able to do so?
1: Whew. You know, that's a tough one. I think one of the biggest things I would try and change from D&D is just how slow-paced it can be sometimes. I really wish that there was a faster way and I, I love how 5e really tried to do that. They tried to make it simpler. So you go from one, one session to another, one round to another really quickly. But they've really left out a lot of creativity. And I think the fact is that it's, it's to build a great story and to have a great encounter, you really can't speed up what's happening around you. Honestly, what you need to have is you need to have a story that's invested enough, that everyone automatically slows down to listen to that story and to interact with that story in that time period. So I think the big thing that I would try and change is to go away from encounters or interactions that are meaningless and just there to satisfy a itch for you know murder hoboing or just a random role playing, I guess itch to you know have to feel as though you have some kind of power over a world i i think if we could get rid of those meaningless interactions it could really make every interaction count to the point where it feels fast-paced but in reality it is moving by slowly because every part of the encounter is so detailed and so exact with what's going on and that's the real struggle because when you're playing a fantasy game. It has to be fast enough that it keeps people engaged. But you also don't want to be too fast to where you lose the detail that really draws some people in and really makes the game what it is. That's good.
0: So once again, looking back on all of your years of playing tabletop RPGs, who would you say is your favorite NPC that you've ever encountered?
1: Oh, geez. Okay, so I have to say Glub Glub automatically, even though I know it will elicit some laughs. I think the greatest thing you can do with an NPC is make them so significant that the DM does not want to discredit who they are just because you made them so significant, something as mundane as a donkey that you yes! got your, I love Daisy. as a steed, not even like as a meaningful steed, just as a something to ride one point to the other, and to change that pack mule into daisy, that's my other, my second option besides Glove Glove. So Glove Glove was a malformed, super malformed, just ugly aberration that was placed into one of Dylan's campaigns to kind of sit there, I think as like a block or a demonic object of some sort. It was very unclear what it was. It was just kind of like a blob. That's why we... I. uh, of course named it glub glub and i attempted to persuade it to be a pet of some sorts and i did end up somehow managing like i rolled a nat 20 or something and ended up having this as a pet for a short while and it's historically (laughs) been a joke that whenever dylan talks about a uh, lost player character npc i always bring up my lost npc glub glub who sacrificed his poor life for cal duel the big,
0: bad, evil guy of that campaign. So I always have to bring it up. The other funny thing, too, with Glove Glove is, so for a little bit more context, we were in one of the planes of the Abyss. Uh, It was the Plane of Flesh, and Dylan had made this crazy terrain that literally looked like bloodied flesh. Super gruesome. But if I remember correctly, and if I'm misremembering this small one, go ahead and interject, I seem to remember Glove Glove actually originally was designed as a trap. So we're heading down deeper into the plane, and we find ourselves at the top of what looked like an almost never ending staircase. And so we're heading down, we go for quite a ways, and we're still roughly halfway <laughs> down, and all of a sudden we trip some sort of a trap, something built into the floor. And in a typical Indiana Jones fashion, almost like the boulder coming rolling down the staircase after us, we start, we hear this loud rumbling, and we look and we see this gigantic, just ball of flesh just rolling after us. <laughs> So I can only imagine that Dylan anticipated this just being something we were going to have to hurry to outrun to survive, but it was so cool because once we once we avoided being killed by it, being crushed by it, Small One went one step further, and what I'm sure was completely left field for Dylan and everybody, he just starts talking to this thing, and he somehow is able to communicate with it and build enough trust with it that he kind of recruited it as like an NPC follower, and it was just the craziest thing ever.
1: Well, I think you got to bring up Daisy because Daisy was my steed, of course, that I, I immediately associate with undying love as my player character of Erwin, where he had this steed called Daisy, a pack mule, very ordinary pack mule, who decided to spit on because they couldn't, the pack mule didn't have enough strength to really do much else to a giant mutant shark in the middle of a village. And the mutated shark was attacking all of us. And I decided that, uh, you know, after I did my actions, I was like, and my donkey named Daisy is going to spit on the shark, just as an afterthought. And I believe that I even rolled, like I was like, oh, do you want me to roll for a spit? Kind of like jokingly. And Dylan was like, oh yeah, sure. So. I rolled it, and I think it was an actual, like, really high roll, like a nat 20. And immediately, the next turn, the shark turns on Daisy and just rips her to shreds. And it was just so impactful, because I think everyone in the party will still remember that time. Because it was just such a turn from what you expect. You expect the shark to really not care about some random animal spitting on it. And so the joke is always, of course, like, oh, if you want to really, like, intimidate or get the attention of something going on. You just spit at it because that's what Daisy did. So that was always the joke. And I believe I did end up with a a saddle that was magical for Irwin that I could call back Daisy for five rounds or so, just a a homebrewed item, magical item. And it kept Daisy in the game to where she would come back for a few rounds really quickly to do something so mundane and extra that only erwin would you know have in story because as a bard in 3.5 you really don't have a lot of actions you can do when you're a debuffing bard so i really found these like extra magic items to be really helpful to just having something to do i guess
0: it was such a cool way for you as the player to be rewarded for your stellar role playing most people would have been like oh that's just a pack meal Mm -hmm. i'll get another one but you had become so attached by that point And it was so cool to see how the reward was then so meaningful. Most people would have just looked at a magical saddle that lets you summon a mount for five rounds. So literally 30 seconds in the game and just been confused by it. But to you, it was like the perfect thing because it would allow you to be reunited with Daisy for a little bit every single day. And that was so cool. And I know there's been numerous instances of like us being in a, a sticky situation and using just that saddle in a completely unorthodox manner, but being able to then use that to help us out in the situation. And that's been really cool.
1: I'm pretty sure we did have like a funeral for her or something. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just all about how you look at it. Dylan, I think definitely played it right. And he knew that I really will always connect to random NPCs for no reason and run with it. And he really does a good job at that. And he, he makes it to where he doesn't push you into certain characters. If you like them, you like them. If you don't, you don't. And uh, I guess those are just some of the NPCs, I'd say, that are the the funniest, most likable NPCs that I've found.
0: Okay, one more question, because I know we want to keep these short and sweet to change the pace up from our normal episodes. So let's say that you're able to jump into a time machine and head 11 years back into the past, and you could sit down with small, small one. What would be advice you would give yourself
1: Geez, small, small one. Um, <laughs> so
0: I think the major
1: small thing... Small one that... squared. <laughs> small one squared, yes. So I'd say if I could talk back to uh, my younger self, it would be really to not try and get so invested into one character or one specific idea of a character arc that you forget to really try and explore all that is in D and other role-playing games i feel like there's so much out there there's so many s- stories to tell there's so many classes to play as you can't really get so caught up in one that you get distracted from the rest of them and i think i got super invested into one idea and one story arc and it's it's an amazing story arc but when i look back at it i really wish that i would have explored some other ones and i would have had more because right now i could have so much knowledge more to tell you guys about all these other classes but instead i've only played you know these three or four main classes and then the other three or four uh, main classes i've you know hardly any knowledge and i really wish that i would have been more versatile in those areas However, it does give me an advantage to really know my stuff for a few specific classes and to really know how to roleplay characters well. So it's a trade-off. I think the, the major thing I, I guess I would tell myself is to really have fun with what I'm doing and just kind of explore the world that I have before me because I feel like you really you, you don't understand how good you have it with the world you have until it's gone. And I really wish I would have delved more into my brother's stories and worlds when I was. it was me and my other brother and then Dylan, Critical Crafting. And I feel like I never really – I, I would just went along with it slow, slowly, you know. I didn't really delve into it as much as I would have now. But, of course, I was only, you know, 10 to 15 years old back then, so it's kind of hard to. So I think the major thing is don't – pigeonhole yourself into one class and don't take what you have for granted and really jump into whatever is given to you for world building. Really try and learn about this fantasy world that's given to you.
0: That was amazing. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me, letting me throw some curveballs at you. I know I feel like I definitely learned some things about you I didn't know before, and I'm positive the listeners would feel that way too. So do you want to go ahead and do your sign off?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, as my uh, bard, Erwin the Defiler, would say, uh, keep on defiling, and I hope you guys have a a great
0: day, and uh, keep on listening. Yes, guys, we really appreciate you joining us tonight and tuning in. So, signing off, this is Cameron, and as I always say, my only vice is rolling dice. Until next time, keep on crafting.
1: Sounds sexy. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Tabletalks theme music, rhinos theme is brought to you by Kevin McLloyd under the Creative Commons license. Please see the show notes for more details.